You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Our text this evening is going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. You can follow along on the screen. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 12. In fact, I'm going to read, I'm going to include verse 11, even though it's not on the screen. I'm going to include verse 11 because it just gives the, the setting, the occasion, and then we'll get into verse 12. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. That's an interesting sentence. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pause and pray. God, I thank you that you're present here in our midst. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have gathered for worship this evening. This moment is filled with possibilities, divine possibilities. And I pray that our hearts would be humbled, that our minds would be quieted, that we would lay aside every distraction internally, externally, and with our best effort, May we listen deeply to what you might want to speak to us as individuals and as a collective church. May we receive well what you want to speak to the very core of our being. May it be planted and find good soil and bear fruit through every extremity of our lives. Lord, may your agenda, your vision for this moment together be made reality as we cooperate with whatever agenda you have. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is on his last trip to Jerusalem, as Luke records it. This is his final trip to Jerusalem, and he has just begun. He, he's been hovering around the region of Galilee, and now it's time for him to make his way to Jerusalem for Passover, where he will, as we know, be crucified and on the third day be raised. So it's late in his ministry. He's the most famous man in all of Israel. This was an age where they didn't have social media. They didn't have um, ways to recognize someone. You were more familiar with their name than their face. And Israel, all they all know the name Jesus of Nazareth, but not everyone 
might recognize who he is if they were to pass him by the street. But as he's traveling between, so he's going down south of Judea, but the region of Samaria is in the middle of Israel. And so he's traveling between the region of Galilee and Samaria, kind of on the border there. And, and he's about to make his way into a, a village. But just as he's about to enter the village, a group of 10 lepers recognize him, not because they recognize his face per se, perhaps they do, but there's probably a, a massive entourage of people with Jesus at this point. There's a huge crowd. And it leads them to wonder, could this be him? And as they see him approaching, they surmise that this is indeed the one that we've heard about. This prophet who many are claiming to be Messiah, who is known as a miracle worker. These lepers call out to Jesus before he makes his way into the village. They're probably, almost certainly, part of a colony of lepers living outside of the community. As, uh, as the Jewish law uh, speaks on this. If someone has a skin disease that's contagious, like a leprosy, um, a condition that, um, that could potentially jeopardize public health, uh, the, 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 the procedure was to quarantine, to be part of a colony outside of the community until your condition cleared up, if it ever did. Some people, unfortunately, would have a chronic case of a skin disease or leprosy or something of that nature, and, and they would have to live the rest of their lives indefinitely in this colony. So these uh, 10 leprous men have been excluded from the community as provided for in the Jewish law, as instructed in the Jewish law. And, uh, and so they're, they're kind of, you know, think about it. They're separated from their family and friends for however long they've had leprosy. And as they see Jesus, they call out to him. Once he's in earshot, they call out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And it's interesting to me how Jesus deals with this. Um, Jesus never took a cookie-cutter approach when he encountered human beings and when he healed human beings. He pretty much never healed the person the same way twice. Every person in every situation is unique, and Jesus treats it that way. I think Jesus treats our own discipleship that way, that we all have our own journey with Jesus, and it's going to look a little bit different from one person to the next. Jesus is not a um, mass industrialist turning out Christians on factory assembly lines. He handcrafts them one at a time, and that's how he approaches people with need. And so Jesus does something interesting with these 10 men. He says, go show yourself to the priests. That's all he says. Go show yourself to the priest. Why would they do that? Well, again, the Jewish law instructs those who have leprosy or a skin disease of some sort. Once your condition has cleared up, you go to the priest because the priest is authorized to examine you, to make sure that there's no longer any danger that, uh, that, that you become cleared of this illness. And then what he would do is he would give you a certificate that you could then bring back to the community and say, look, I'm cleared and I'm healed and the condition's no longer here because what Jesus wants to do is not just heal the guys physically. He wants to heal them emotionally and relationally so that they can be restored into their community and their family and friends. According to Jesus, that's very important. And so he says, go and show yourself to the priest. Notice he hasn't even healed them yet. And he's saying, go and show yourself to the priest. 
What is, what is happening? Well, remember, we talked about this, I think, three weeks ago, that what is faith? It's not a psychological gimmick. It's, first of all, an action. It's acting based on trust, relational trust, covenantal trust in the character of the person and in the person's word. And so that's what Jesus is asking them to do. I'm asking you to trust me, trust my authority, trust my word to you, and begin walking towards the priest. And so somewhere down the line, as they're journeying to wherever the priest was located, and it had to be a considerable distance, otherwise the rest of the story doesn't make sense. But somewhere along the way, it occurs to them that their condition is cleared up. Whatever was attached to their skin, whatever numbness, if it was leprosy, whatever numbness was there in their fingers and their toes and their, their limbs, it's disappeared, it's gone. And nine of these ten guys immediately take this gift of healing and they run with it. One of them says, no, let me stop and I'm going to return. Before I take this gift and run with it, I'm going to run back to Jesus and I'm going to give him gratitude for what he's done for my life. Now, it would be very um, easy. It would be very easy for us to just jump to becoming immediately critical of these other nine lepers. Like, isn't it selfish to receive this healing and to just keep going? Like, this man has just changed your life. You are not only physically healed, religiously you are clean, and now you have the capacity to be restored in relationship to your community. So wouldn't it be appropriate to go back and give this man thanks for how he has transformed your, your life and given you a future? Isn't it kind of inconsiderate of these men that they did not do that? And it is. But before we immediately jump to that, I, want us, I think it would do us some good to try to put ourselves in the position of these nine lepers. Before they contracted leprosy, I'm sure that maybe at least some of them had wives, maybe children. They had family. They had friends. They had a community that they belonged to. How long has it been since they've been able to be a part of their community? How long has it been since they've been able to sit down and look in the eye of one of their loved ones and spend quality and quantity time with them? How long has it been since they have felt the warmth of a human embrace? Five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 25 years, who knows? And all of a sudden now there's this ray of hope. And as they're walking along, along the way, they notice that their condition is cleared up and that everything's back to normal. Imagine like the dreams that would immediately burst in their minds. Like previous to this, when they're in this leper's colony, they have no future. They can't allow themselves permission to dream and to have hopes and to have plans and to have schemes. Their whole lives and future is tied to this proximity, this colony that they're belonging to. And now all of a sudden that they've been healed, now at last they can begin to dream again. So imagine just the the hopes, the plans that would, that would immediately begin to burst in their minds. Or maybe perhaps there was even something like this going on in their minds. Maybe they were thinking, you know what, for 20 years, 
I've been this leper. I've, for 20 years, I've been this grotesque, ostracized person in society. Doesn't God owe me that 20 years? Why should I return and give thanks? Why should I go and give thanks for something that most people have their entire lives? Maybe there was at least some of that. So perhaps what's more surprising than the fact that these nine lepers did not return to give thanks, maybe what's more surprising is that this one guy did. That one guy said, you know what, before I take my dreams and my plans and start running with them, it's appropriate for me to take a moment, turn back to Jesus and give him thanks. There was something about this man that separated him from the other nine. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe it has something to do with the fact that he was a Samaritan, which Luke goes out of his way to tell us. Many of you are aware that um, the Jews and the Samaritans in the ancient world were entrenched in deep ethnic hostility. Not so much unlike the modern day hostility between Jews and Palestinians, although probably multiplied. And they regarded one another as less than human. So this is a guy who probably his whole life, even when he was healthy, he's probably never had a Jewish person even do him a favor. So perhaps that's why this gift stands out to him so much and, he, and he's more ready to be grateful. We don't know. But in any case, he saw something that the other nine did not see. He saw that this gift of healing was not his to run with. That this gift of healing belonged to Jesus. And so that before I take this gift and run with it, it's good and it's appropriate and it's proper and it's necessary for me to stop and to return to Jesus and give thanks for what he's done. Ephesians 1 tells us that we are created to praise God, to show off his love, to show off his magnificence, to to proclaim out loud his goodness, his beauty, his love. Scripture tells us that praise is the one activity that's going to go on for all of eternity. 1 Corinthians 4 says that we have nothing that we have not received. Whatever we have has been given to us, Paul says. Even our, our very existence, the fact that you exist, however long you happen to exist for, whether it's 100 years or 50 years, or 20 years, or two years, or two days, or two minutes. However long you exist, it's more than what you bargained for. Even your existence is a gift from God. Everybody right now, take a deep breath. Every breath you take into your lungs is a gift of grace on God's behalf. There's no reason why God has to give you that breath. Scripture tells us that God holds all things together and sustains them by the power of his hand. So every breath you breathe is decreed by God. It's God saying, have another one. Now have another one. Now have another one. Every beat of my heart, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's a gift. Every thought that we have in its own way is a gift. Our capacity to think, your capacity to hear me right now, my capacity to speak, 
our capacity to smell and to taste and to touch, our abilities, our gifts from God, every loved one, every encouraging, life-giving person is a gift to you from God. They don't have to be there. Every kind word you receive, every loving touch, every warm hug or embrace is a kind of gift from God. It doesn't have to be there. One of the psalmists says, I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. I don't care how deep of a valley, how dark of a valley, how evil of a valley you might be walking through right now. At all times, you've got something to praise God for. How much more can we praise God for his saving and redeeming and rescuing work in our lives? Did you know that like, even your capacity to have faith we think that's of our own doing, and it's not. Ephesians 2 says, even faith is a gift from God. Jesus says, no man can come unto me unless the Father draws him. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, whatever belief you have, whatever connection you have with the Lord, even your capacity to believe, your capacity to even know Jesus or even know about Jesus, that's all gift it's not an accomplishment on your part i mean we we certainly have engagement responsibilities we have to make our choice and uh, certainly but the fact that you have any kind of love for god that you have any kind of care for god any concern for god ultimately god creates the capacity for that scripture says left to ourselves we're dead in our sins and it's the Spirit of God that makes us alive by His grace, by His mercy. So even your own Christian walk, every component of your Christian walk, it would not be possible. Yes, we choose. Yes, we are responsible for engaging. But the capacity to engage in a relationship with God would not be possible apart from the constant gift of God's grace pouring into our lives. Everything is a gift. Everything. Look around you. Every molecule that exists, every single moment of life is a kind of gift. It doesn't have to be there. If it's there, it's there because God wants it to be there. It's God saying, here, I'll continue to make it exist. But sometimes, we're a lot like these other nine lepers. Sometimes I'm like these other nine lepers. And I can take for granted the life that I have. I've got so much to praise God for and to be grateful for. And when I'm not careful, what can happen is I can wake up in the morning and just immediately think about my plans for the day, my hopes and dreams, my schemes for the day. And I just run with my day. I run with my life as if it's mine to run with, and, and, and my own plans and dreams are, are what fills the total content of my thoughts. We take the gifts that God has given us, our thoughts, our breaths, our heartbeats, our lives, our health, our positions, and we run with it as if it's ours to run with. Sometimes we fall into this trap. We begin to compare ourselves with other people, and we tell ourselves that we should have coming to us what other people have. So 
we're not as healthy as this person, so we complain about it. Or we're not as wealthy as this person is. Or they have better eyesight than we do. Or they have more hair than we do. Or their life, their life has been relatively easy while ours has been tough. Or their kids are stellar kids and our kids are a pain in the neck. Or they have bigger houses than we do. Or they, they're more talented. Or they're more attractive than we are. And we compare ourselves forgetting that whatever we have, and we, we allow all of that to determine our level of happiness. Everything we have, however much, however little, it's more than what we bargained for. It's, it's all a gift. And we forget that and we compare. There are at least... Three results of this when we live our lives like the other nine lepers. Forgetting the, the giftness of life. When we forget to see through the lens of gratitude and think thoughts of gratitude and feel sentiments of gratitude, when we forget that, there are several things that result. First of all, number one, is we begin to get bored with life. We get bored. And, and you might even write this down. An ungrateful heart leads to a bored life. An ungrateful heart leads to a bored life. Because life just becomes ordinary to us. We stop seeing the wonder of it all, the beauty of it all, the marvel of it all. We stop giving thanks for it. We stop seeing it as a gift. We take it for granted. We assume that we have it coming to us. Therefore, eventually we get bored with it. An ungrateful heart leads to a bored life. When life becomes boring to you, that is a hallmark of an ungrateful heart. And it's an indication that we need to cultivate a habit of gratitude in our lives. So an ungrateful heart leads to a bored life. The second thing that happens is we begin to miss out on a whole lot of joy. Because here's the second thing. An ungrateful heart leads to a miserable life. An ungrateful heart leads to a bored life. An ungrateful heart leads to a miserable life. We all know people, and I know people, and sometimes we are those people who have so much, and yet we complain so much. We have so much, and yet we want more. And we're busy running away from the giver of the gift in order to gain and acquire and seize more of the gift rather than stop and continually give thanks on a continual basis. People who have the world at our fingertips, and yet we're not happy as a society. We focus more on what we don't have than on what we do. And then the third thing we miss out on is this, and this is the prob probably the most important. You know, Scripture tells us that God inhabits the praises of His people. When I, when I cultivate an ongoing rhythm of expressing gratitude to God and I take inventory of the mercies, the grace, the gifts, the blessings that God has poured into my life, all around me every day, every moment of the day, as I, as I learn to cultivate an awareness of that and I take inventory and I express gratitude for that, the Bible teaches us that God floods that kind of place. He inhabits the praises of his people. God lives there. God dwells there. And so the third thing is this, an ungrateful heart leads to a life outside of the presence of God. Or we just might say outside of an awareness of God's presence. Like Jacob says, surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. 
and we don't experience God's joy, God's peace, God's love. We know about them. They're doctrines in our heads and we agree with them, but they're not part of our lived experience. We don't know, we don't experience and walk in God's joy and God's peace and God's love. I don't know about you. I want that to be my life. One of the things that has helped me in the past, and this is something i got to be vigilant about, and I'm not always great at it, but one of the things that helps me is when I have a rhythm, an intentional rhythm. It doesn't happen on its own. I plan, I intend to do this, but maybe on a daily basis or weekly basis, you pause and take 5, 10, 15 minutes and you look back on the previous whatever, 24 hours or the previous seven days and you just count your blessings. You look back and you, you with the Holy Spirit, you review that day, you review that week. Where was God present to me? Where did I experience God's grace? You think about your conversations. You think about the kind word, the handshake, the warm greeting and welcome you received or or even just the, the roof over your head or the good meal that you consumed. Whatever it is, there's a billion different things on any given day. But what happens is the more you cultivate a practice of gratitude, it completely changes your perspective on life and you end up becoming more aware as God's grace is pouring into your life. You become more aware so that you become more grateful. And then you become more aware. So it's like this endless cycle. And all of life begins to change, no matter what your external circumstances are. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I bet it has. But you ever have it happen to you, like you're sitting on your porch, and all of a sudden, like for no particular reason, you're just impressed with the trees or, or the wind blowing across your face? Or you admire the beauty of the sunset against the mountains? We, uh, Carrie and I, we just bought a house here uh, three months ago, and, and Doug and Cassandra got us a, a bird feeder, a hummingbird feeder, for uh, just as a housewarming gift. And I got this hummingbird feeder up there in our backyard. And I just sit there, and I just enjoy watching these hummingbirds. There's two hummingbirds, and they hate each other. They, they fight over that hummingbird feeder. And it's just such a simple little, I mean, it might sound flaky to you, but I, I'm just telling you, man, there's so much to marvel over if we'll open our eyes. When you live life with eyes of gratitude, being cognizant like the Samaritan leper, we always return to give thanks and to appreciate the gift of life, the gift of your heartbeat, the gift of health, the gift of your children, the gift of your spouse. And you run back to Jesus with it and you say, thank you, Lord. When you do that, you begin to appreciate these things more and more. You appreciate the infinite value of your children. And you, you learn to cherish every precious moment you have with them. And you begin to see and wake up to the beauty of every person. And he, in every moment of life becomes an act of worship. The psalmist says that the earth is filled with the glory of God. I promise you there's no moments, there's no context, there's no environment that is not bursting with God's glory if we will turn aside and take notice of it. 
I've been thinking earlier this week about Moses when Moses is in the desert of Sinai and he's just traveling through and he sees on this mountain somewhere way off in the distance, he sees uh, this bush that's on fire. And Moses tells himself, I must turn aside and see this great sight. And that's what I'm inviting you to do. In any given moment of your day, it's a simple decision. I'm going to turn aside and take notice of the beauty, the glory, the majesty of God all around me. And when you do that, you realize every moment of your day, every moment of life is a kind of bush on fire with God's glory. Even your mundane chores at home, your commute to work, your, your daily interactions with your coworkers, your talks with your spouse and your children, all of these are filled with God's glory and their opportunities to worship God. So if you find your Christianity getting stale or dry or mundane, it's praise that brings passion and life back to your walk with Christ. And what happens is these deep theological truths that you know in your brain begin to sink down into your heart and you begin to experience these truths. Like we know God is powerful. We know God is our protector. We know God rejoices over me. We, I, I know that God loves me. But when do you experience God's love? When's the last time you felt and experienced God's joy? See, knowing God rejoices over me isn't going to help me with my depression, but it's experiencing. It's, it's experiencing these truths. And what brings me into that experience is a, a, a life of praise and thanks. God inhabits the praises of, these, of his people. And as we cultivate a habit of gratitude, it's praise that opens our hearts to the reality of God's love, the reality of God's joy and God's power and God's beauty. That's why praise is the most frequent thing we're encouraged to do in Scripture. And when what you know becomes an experience, that's when transformation happens. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.